questions if you are, uh, this is the first time you're, you're here with us. Thank you for being here. Um, we've been looking at this letter um, that Paul wrote, obviously in the Word of God, for more than just Paul writing it to those believers in that city, it's really for us as well. Because we you know the Word of God speaks to us right where we're at. And uh, so we've been tracking along in the book of Colossians. Today we're going to be specifically, we're going to cover two verses today. So you guys are thinking it shouldn't take as long. I'm hoping that it doesn't. But uh, we're going to continue in chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 18 and 19 in a few moments. But this is specifically about marriage, husbands and wives. And if you're here today and you go, well, I'm not married, um, this still will speak to you because we're going to be looking at the great revelation at the end of what the real purpose of marriage is. It points us to a greater reality. And so I'm hoping the husbands and wives can get a little bit of something. If you're planning on being married someday, this should be a blessing to you. But even if you're not married, you're never going to be married, whatever, this, I think this is going to still speak to your heart. Um, just to start out, um, a little joke that I read the other day is uh, husband and wife are having some struggles in God where they kind of have an impasse in their marriage and, and the wife, she's just a bit shut down. You know, she's just like, you know, I, I just don't know what's going on. So they go to this counselor and uh, the counselor kind of starts talking to them and tries to get kind of to the bottom of what's going on. He kind of finds out and he kind of sees what's going on here, the reason why she's a bit shut down. So he goes, sir, let me show you something. And he walks over to this guy's wife and he says, he takes over the hand, he looks in her eyes and he says, tell me what's on your heart. Just tell me what's on your heart. And she just begins to open up and begins to tell this guy. And he's just looking at her intently in the eyes. She's crying and telling him, and she just had a real breakthrough. And they're like, this is amazing. And so the counselor turns around and he says, it's not that difficult. She just needs this a few times a week. And the guy goes, that's wonderful. I'll bring her Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's a man that doesn't get it. And so we've done the, the big overarching theme in this series is called the battle for supremacy. Because ultimately, the way this is written, Paul comes right out of the gate in chapter 1 and he makes a declaration. It's somewhat even though it's kind of written like a worship song of who Jesus is. And he makes this, I think, very strong doctrinal theological statement of this is who Jesus is. And the reason I like the way it's written is that's how he kind of comes out of the gate. And then he really talks about how we should live and it really goes into and bleeds into practical living, how we should live it out. What we should do. And, 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 and so this idea of before, again, before we get into what Paul is talking about in marriage, and last week we talked about, you know, you know, what, what we should put on and what we should put off and how we should love people. Chapter 3, he begins by setting our heart and our mind on things about us and live for eternity. Live for the reality of eternity. That this life, as great and awesome as it may be at times, and sometimes it's not so great, but he said, let it all be a reminder that this is temporary. You were created for eternity. You really were. Eternity is real. When we die from these physical bodies, we, in some regards, we just begin. Because this human life is a drop of a drop of a drop in the bucket of, of eternity. We will live forever, either with God or away from Him. And so Paul is saying, 
understand that eternity is real. Let that be the driving force of your life. That's why Paul could say in Philippians, he said, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be at peace whether I have much or I don't have anything at all. And he writes these words from prison, interestingly enough, because he's saying, I've learned who I am in Christ and who He is. And that He's worth all my life and He's worth my whole heart. And one day, this life will be gone and we will be with Him forever. Let that be the driving force of your life. And when you understand that this life is temporary, then we don't put so much stock in this life. As good as this life gets, it's nothing compared to eternity with Jesus. Nothing compared. We were created for eternity. And so again, he tells us in chapter 3 how we should live as followers of Jesus. And then he gets into the home. He gets into marriage. And he will we'll get into children and, and even um, our work. He speaks very specifically, but he wants us to get one thing squared away in our own hearts, and that is where we're going to start, Colossians 1. This is where he comes out with kind of this worship declaration of who Jesus is. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and He is supreme. That word, if you, again, you've been tracking along, you understand, it means first, preeminent, ruler, the ultimate authority, the chief, He has the final say in all of it. He's over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see to be thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the empty world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. And today we're going to we say this. Marriage was created through Him and for Him. That's what it's saying, that He's supreme over all things. So us included. And marriage. Marriage and family was created through Him for Him. He existed before anything else. He held all creation together. Christ also, the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is first in everything. Not just most things. Not just the things that we like for Him to be first. But he's first in everything. He's first in marriage. He must be first in family. For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And that Paul ends that statement of saying he, he's supreme, and the good news is that he died for you. He went to the cross for you and me. He gave up everything for us. But then he didn't stay dead, he rose from the dead, and now he is completely supreme over all things. And so this battle for supremacy, and we're going to be talking about husbands and wives. Husbands and wives, this is not a battle for supremacy against each other. And that's what the enemy would like to make it. And, and, and you know, the song that we sang about unity and, and the word that we had about unity. Um, unity is so important. And the enemy will fight and battle against unity all the time. He tries to divide people. He tries to divide the church. And that's why in our day and age, with the things that are going on, um, the church is one of the hottest battlegrounds for the enemy. We have churches splitting. We have churches dying. We have all kinds of horrible things that are happening in churches. And this person gets offended, this person they don't speak, and then you drive wedges. You have one pastor that turns on another pastor, and they take a group of people, and they go start a different church. It's just tragic. But it happens in the home more frequently even in the, in the church. If the enemy tries to drive a wedge between husbands and wives. 
between children and their parents, and disunity and division. And so if unity is so important, we know that the enemy will fight against So this idea of the battle for supremacy. A lot of times, if the enemy turns that where the husband and wife turn on each other, and I'm trying to battle for the supremacy and the control in my home, and we've messed up, we've, we've gotten that out of whack, and so we have this idea again, Christ being the uh, being supreme first in all things. And we need to remind ourselves who is in control, and we must live our lives under the control of Him, who is the greatest to understand again kingdom principles, the principles that He wants us to live by. Living differently than what the culture tells us. The culture elevates self. The culture says it's about me. The culture says, how does this benefit me? The kingdom of God is completely opposite. It is, it is about Him. How can I lay my life down? How can I serve? How can I love? And so, first and foremost, to have a great and successful marriage and family, Christ must be first and preeminent in my own heart. As far as it's concerned with me, I'm going to make Christ preeminent first in my life. And if both husband and wife would begin to, again, make this first part right, to get this first part squared away, I'm going to surrender all to Jesus. I'm going to give Him my whole heart. I'm going to make Him first. You're on the road to a successful marriage. In other words, if He calls the shots, He leads, He guides, He directs, and submits to His supremacy in all things. And so leading up now, Colossians 3, 18-19, what it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's the two verses we're going to talk about today. And we're going, and my prayer is that we will see this passage because in culture, some, and some people even, when I put that up, there's a little ruffle, ooh, submission. I don't like that word too much. Because submission, when it, what has happened to submission, it has become very negative. Because it has been used to be, uh, like, to dictate, to, to be harsh with. And, and, I, and I tell you, as we unfold the word submission, my heart is that we see that biblical submission is a beautiful thing. And that God came up with, and the enemy tries to pervert and tries to make it a very negative thing. So before we kind of jump into this practice, let me say this. There's no other place that is more important of how our faith plays out than in our homes. That is the battleground. That's the testing ground because that's the place where we know each other the greatest, right? We see the good, the bad, the ugly. We see the flaws. And we see each other for who we are. And so in the home, it is the most important place that this is played out. But our faith must be in our home. And that's why some kids get very disillusioned. I've seen pastors' kids just, you know, kind of fall apart. is because they see Dad winning the world in that home. He's a different person. And he's harsh. And he's, and he, and he's, and he's, and he's rejecting. He's neglecting his kids. He's neglecting his marriage plays out every day, and so the faith must come home with us Because the true test of our relationship, the true test of all this is how we relate to each other, right? 
the true test is we can, again, and, and I said this last week, it's really easy to be worshipful when you're on vacation. Or you're kind of in a good season and everything's kind of fun. It is tested under stress, under the mundane, over the everyday life, the busyness of our, our day and, and, and the things that we have to do and the irritation that my family is to me right now and I'm, I'm irritable and I'm kind of grumpy and don't be nudging your spouse right now. Um, but it's those moments where it's put to the test. Not that we don't have those moments, but how do we work through that? So the home is the first place we test our newness because it falls as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, show compassion and kindness and gentleness, and in the home, that is where it must begin. So Paul shows that faith must be lived out in our families. Interestingly enough, again, this whole idea of supremacy in chapter 3, Jesus is referred to as Lord or Master, depending on your, the, 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 the uh, translation that you're reading, seven times. He's making a statement and he's referring us back to chapter 1, right? That Christ must be supreme. And his supremacy in our life has direct consequences to how our relationships play out as successful or not. And if you haven't noticed, your know, families are, are in pain today. Families need help more than ever. I'm not going to take time to quote statistics to prove to you, but we all know that. The family is under attack. Marriage is under attack. The family, in a lot of places, is disintegrating. We shouldn't be surprised again. This is the first institution that God founded. The first institution was marriage. He creates Adam and he says, it's not good for him to be alone. And so I'm going to make a suitable helper for him. And he creates Eve. And he says, the two shall become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. And we see God's original blueprint and design for marriage, the first institution that God does is a husband and a wife. So it's no question that this first institution that God does, it's God's idea. God defines marriage, not man. We see it in the original blueprint in Genesis. And so if it's God's idea and God's blueprint, it's no surprise that that very institution would be under attack. And so Jesus, that's why he created physical and natural laws by which the universe functions. God created family to give good guidelines and practical parameters and, and, and how it should flow. And remember the word good when he says, I created a man and woman and he saw that it was good it's as it should be. It's flowing. It's by the design. We see that in natural law. We see that, again, in, in the family that he created. And so if we ignore God's ways, if we ignore His stewardship, again, He gives us this life, just like going back to Adam and Eve in the garden, He says, I'm giving you this life, I'm giving you this garden to oversee, not to own. You don't own it. You're managing it. That's stewardship. I'm giving you this life. Now manage it. How should a manager manage? The way the owner tells them to manage. If a, if a manager begins to manage outside of the owner's intent, there's chaos that, that it ensues. And no matter what, 
if it's a business or whatever, the owner is the one who calls the shots. Jesus must be supreme. And again, Colossians 1 says he's supreme and preeminent over everything. So we cannot forget that. And so the family, God says, I'm going to give you family. I'm going to give you marriage as a gift. Now remember, it's temporary. Remember, Jesus told us there won't be marriage in heaven. It's a temporary thing, and it's actually to point us to a greater reality. I'll get to, to that in a moment. He says, I'm giving you marriage as a gift. Now, steward it the way I have set it up. And so we have Genesis 3 again. Sin comes in, and we see through the history of mankind. Basically, sin is, I will do, I will manage however I want to manage. I will be on the throne of my own life. I will call the child. I'll tell you what marriage is, and I will make that determination. And God says, he is, breaks his heart. He says, I've given you beautiful parameters to, to follow. And if you don't follow it the way the owner, it's to our peril, not to our blessing. God wants to bless us. And so, first, 18, let's start there. Wives, commit your husbands actually to the Lord. Biblical submission is beautiful. Now, this is an interesting passage that we come out of the gate here, that uh, wives commit your husbands as unto the Lord. Now, in, in studying this, you would think that this would be kind of a no-brainer because in that culture, wives were commanded almost by law to be submissive to the husband. Right? And so this would be kind of almost like you're looking at this passage and you're thinking, um, wouldn't it be assumed that wives were supposed to be submissive to God? But Paul's going to get to a greater reality because unfortunately wives were treated more like property or less than. And so why would this passage be anything new when Paul is going to say, Paul is going to say, I'm going to show you a greater way. I'm going to show you what God meant when the word submission came in. Because it's beautiful. He's going to reveal how to do marriage and family the right way, that he is supreme, that he calls the shots. Under the new covenant, you see this radical shift of how wives and children should be treated. Because we're going to get verse 19 in a moment. Ultimately, it would be a revelation of Christ and his involvement in our lives. But the issue of submission is function, not inferiority. Individuals have a role to play in the family. We see this play out everywhere. If you go to work, there are roles. And the businesses that are successful, or churches that are successful, when you see organizational structures, the ones that are successful, the people that maybe are the CEO. And, 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 and again, in our culture, what do we tend to do? We tend to raise them up and almost elevate them that they are the most important. And in the kingdom of God, that is just not true. Good businesses, you have a CEO that's very humble, and they see the value in someone that's maybe even what we would classify as the lowest, maybe sweeping the floor. A CEO sees that person as equally valuable to the company. Everyone has a role to play. And just because someone makes decisions that others don't make, it does not attach value. It just says they have a different function. 
And so submission is not intended to be this weird idea of putting people down. It's simply a different role to play. Since as we have followed the disciples of Jesus Christ, we have different responsibilities, right? Even Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 that he, he likens us in, like a body. Some are the pinky, some are the, the index finger, some are the toe, some are the knee. Some, all of these, my body to function to be able to move. Every part is doing something, right? It's all flowing together. That's how it's, that's how it's done properly. And then Paul says, even don't don't think that one is more important than the other. He said, the eye shouldn't say to the hand, I have no need of you. He said, in fact, some of those ones that are, those parts that are hidden are even more important at times, depending on the function. So we all have different roles and different functions in the body of Christ. We are made and created to be a part the same is true again for the family, for children, for parents. It's kind of a divine chain of command that's meant to help the family run the most effective way. Different roles, not different values. And so the concept of submission is taught in many places in the Bible, and it does not mean slavery or Again, inferiority. The Greek word for submission is to arrange oneself. Get this: to arrange oneself under a delegated authority. It comes from a military word here, where soldiers would put their in order under the direction of their officer, not less than, just different roles. And again, the reason why this word has gotten so much negative play is because some have abused the idea of submission and made it something that Jesus never intended it to be. Some have used it to justify being harsh, heavy-handed, being a dictator, maybe in their home. That people have to walk on eggshells around you. It's kind of my way or the highway, and I'm like, well, you have to submit to me. That is never what Jesus intended. And people that act like that need to repent and turn from their sins and find out what Jesus says about this. Some extreme cases, people have justified abuse to say, you're supposed to submit to me. You see that in some other religions in the world, where they encourage abuse to keep women submitted. Never what God intended. It's never what Paul commented in the New Covenant. And it was never what Christ modeled. Again, Paul, under the New Covenant, he's giving us some radical teaching here. Because at that, in that day, women were seen more like property. And Paul's saying, not under the New Covenant, not under Jesus. Because in Christ, and, and, and earlier in chapter 3, he says there's no slave nor free. You know, they, would, they have these systems and made people more important. No, there's no slave nor free. No, there's no Jew nor Gentile in another place. He said, it's not even about male, female. Yes, there's distinctions there, but in Christ, we're all the same. All the same in Jesus. So we're going to, I'm going to dig a little deeper and see what the Bible tells us about submission and the Christian home. Ladies, who, who should you look to that modeled that kind of submission? We look to Jesus Himself. 
because we're going to dig, we're going to see Jesus modeling submission and leadership. It's a very beautiful thing. Let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus had some authority? I mean, he told his disciples, all authority has been given to me. Right? All authority. So he's got all authority in him as the Son of God. The man Christ Jesus, he had all authority. But let's look at some scriptures. Let's go to the next one. Here's what Jesus did in John 5. Jesus gave them the answer. Very true, I say to you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So he, you see Jesus submitting himself to the Father while he was on the earth. John 5.30, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I fear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Unity, submission to the Father. Let's go to the next slide. John 12.49-50, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So he's saying, I'm not, I'm not speaking out here just on my own authority. I go and I get in touch with the Father and I find out what He wants me to say, then I say it. I know that His commands lead to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Isn't that interesting? I'm telling you what the Father told me to tell you. That He has all authority in Himself. But you see the beauty in the Godhead. Even in the Godhead, you see submission. Do you think Jesus felt less than? Do you think that he felt like he was less than the Father, um, that he was somehow not as valuable? No, he understood. And he understood. He just trusted his Father. And the relationship that they had, he just slowed out. I just tell you what the Father told me to tell you. And then John 14, 10, I don't, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? So you have this beautiful unity. And again, there's a picture there of the husband and the wife that they are connected together, heart and soul and, and, and mind. There, there should be this intimate connection more than just bodies, more than just physical. There should be a spiritual, emotional, mental connection. And Jesus is modeling that. Because the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Now, could Jesus have been justified to speak on his own authority? Yes, he could have. Because he's part of the Godhead, right? I mean, he could be justified and no one would ever question him. He's, he's, he's doing this. There's a reason why Jesus did this while he was on the earth. He's modeling something to us to say, submission the way God intended is very beautiful. It's an interwoven thing in relationship. And he says, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Submit myself to the Father. And then the, the next passage, this is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, who is equally in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, here's what said, Jesus says this about the Spirit. I have much more to say to you, but more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. So you have the Holy Spirit being in submission. Right? Isn't this beautiful? I'm, I'm very excited about this. I, I hope you guys are too. But because God is trying to show us that biblical submission, Jesus himself modeled it, the Holy Spirit modeled it. When, when, when wives are told to submit to their husbands, Jesus is saying, come along with me. I, 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 I'm going to show you how to do it. And so he is the model there. And he said, if you have the relationship, and you get the relationship again, that Christ is supreme in your life and in your heart, 
That you, it's not something that you buck against and say, well, that, that word means I'm beaten down. No, this is not at all what Jesus intended. He was revealing something about his heart. And so although Jesus and the Holy Spirit are co-equal to God the Father, co-equal, they lived in submission to Him. That didn't make them less important, but functioning in different roles as the Godhead. And so why is Jesus as your model what it means to graciously submit? All right, now husbands. The command to the husband is actually a greater command because Paul says this, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The word there, husbands love your wives, I talked about this last week, husbands agape, self-sacrificially love your wife. Lay your life in her. This is radical teaching for the first century. Because women were treated like property, I'm, I'm sure that there were husbands that loved their wives. But Paul is saying, Christ is the model. I want you to love her in such a way that you're laying your life in her. Like Christ loves the church, I want you to love your wife like that. And so the only way, husbands, that we're even able to love our, our wives even a little bit is that if Christ has got to be supreme in my own heart. And I have to love her with His love and to lay my life down for her. And then He says, and do not be harsh with her again. The idea back in that day was that husbands tended to be harsh with their wives. Don't say anything. You sit back. You don't say anything to you're spoken to. Again, you see in some religions, wives are walking ten feet behind their husbands. They're covered from head to toe. They can't, you know, can't do anything without the husband telling them that they can do something. And it's very, it's very harsh culture. And Paul is saying, love her and don't be harsh with her. In fact, Peter says this, just like the Godhead, God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, it says they were, they're co-equal in different roles. Peter says this in 1 Peter 3, Husbands, treat your wives in an understanding way as your co-equal partner in eternal life. Okay? So that, that kind of puts the rest in. Again, that would be radical teaching. She's co-equal partner to you. She's going to have a different function, a different role. Yes, the husband is the head of his home. That's spiritual authority there. But it's a different function, just like it was modeled. And so husbands were to love their wives by laying their lives down for them. Not belittling her. Not dictating her. Not being abusive to her. And so, again, here's the model. And Jesus gives you the model as the great bridegroom. Listen to this. So he's talking about serving, okay, in and, and, and the world. And he said, instead, whoever wants to become great, he goes, in this world, in this culture, people like to be in control. And they like to lord over other people. And they like to tell them what to do. Right? Don't you like to be in charge? You know you do. Admit it. But he said, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And one translation, he said, it's got to be different with you. You need to be different from the world. Church, be different from the world. Reveal to the world that you're different, that you belong to me. And this is why Jesus said, I, here's Jesus, full of authority. He's the Son of God. 
They saw that his teaching had power. His, he did miracles. He was the Lord over sickness. He, was, he could do amazing things. And yet, he came to serve. And it was different. He didn't come to take over. He came to serve. He will one day take over. Make no mistake about it. But he said, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I understand that he's talking about, you know, um, um, you know like being great. But this is a great marriage. Husbands, get this in your heart. If you want to be great in your home and you want to be the head, be a servant. Lay your life down for your wife. This is what Jesus is talking about. Husbands, lay your life down for your wife in love. Serve her in a gracious way. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life. This is the model. And then the next one is John 13. Right before Jesus was to be crucified again, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time would come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, I love that. Husbands, you can grab hold of Having loved His own, who husbands, who's your own? It's your wife and your children. Having loved his own, and then talking about Jesus and his disciples, and says he were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And you know what he started doing? Washing their feet. Why was that important? Because it was the lowest slave in the house had that job. It was a dirty job. People walked everywhere. Camels and donkeys were everywhere. Do the math. When somebody showed at your house, they've been walking on the same trails. And then what would usually happen is before, they didn't want people to just walk like nowadays, you know. And then some of you guys take your shoes off to like snow and stuff, you know. In the south, we just kind of like walk right in. Of course, it could be that we're from Tennessee and we do that sometimes. But back in that day, for obvious reasons, they didn't want certain smells in their house. And so the lowest slave in the house would meet you at the door. The first thing they would do is they would get on their knees and they would have, they would have a, a, a basin of water and they would take your sandals off and they would wash your feet. Sometimes they would pour, you know, ointments and oil that's right, a nice smell. And they would wash your feet and they would let you in. And so when Jesus is at this Passover feast and it says that he's going to show them the full extent of his love, he gets down on his knees and he begins to wash their feet. And Peter understands the, the, the significance of this and he starts telling Jesus, he said, you know, this is not right. You should be washing your feet. He understood that he was the Son of God. And Jesus said, no, I want, I want to do this for you, and then I want you to do it for each other. In other words, serve each other, love each other. Husbands, love your wife and serve her. Because a husband that will love his wife like that, she would find it much easier to submit to his spiritual authority in the home. But Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. He's our model of what loving leadership is. Again, that, that doesn't mean that the husband knows more or is value more. It's simply a different role that God set up. It's intended for us to live out that way so that we can have God's best for our home. And so if we do it His way, it's beautiful. And homes are been filled with peace. And it's about loving each other. And some, I've had somebody ask me this before. They said, well, tell me practically how that works out. 
And so I would say this, you know, and just to help you a little bit. Let's say you have to make a decision. You know, we have, we're taking door A or door B, and whatever it is, I mean, in the decision in your home. The wrong way is to say, the husband goes, wife, you just stay over there, and I'm going to make a decision you're going to be happy with it because you're supposed to be submissive to me. If we see the model of Christ and how he worked with the Father, and all of those verses of Scripture where it says that he didn't do anything on his own behalf, he's in the Father, and the Father is in him. Our loving husband would say, first of all, he would leave his wife, and he would pray, Husbands, pray with your wife. If I could tell you one thing to do is pray with your wife. It doesn't have to be an hour prayer meeting per day, but take a few minutes out of each day and pray with her. Pray for your kids, pray for your family, pray for your home. But if I'm saying in a practical way, let's say a decision has to be made. And it can be anything, whatever. Should we buy this or not? Should we put the kids in this class or not? Whatever the decision is, here is how this should work, modeled by Christ and the Father, the Holy Spirit and the Father. I love the husband to say, we have this decision to make. Honey, let's pray. That'd be the first thing to do. Christ, you are supreme. And we're going we're gonna to go before the Lord and we're going to pray. God, help us. Give us wisdom and grace. We humble ourselves before you. We're asking for wisdom and direction. And then a loving husband is going to say to his wife because he may see things from a different perspective. And a lot of times he does. That's why we're different. That's why another reason why God set up marriage between a man and a woman is because they see the world differently. And they see things from a different perspective. And, it, and, and again, the enemy wants to make a difference as a classic point. God wants to make it complementary and make it where it works together. And so a loving husband says, Honey, what are your thoughts on this? Let me get your perspective on door A or door B. And I'm going to lovingly listen to you and, and hear what you have to say. And let's pray about this. And ultimately, as they work through that and they pray, and then they get a peace and the husband goes, Okay. My wife and I decided to choose door A because we are working together. We are one together, and we sought the thing out. I've listened to the wisdom of my wife, and then I'm making a, a decision as the leader of my home. So that's just a real practical way that it can work out. Another way is the husband just takes the forefront and say, "We're going to pray together, and we're going to lead our family toward the Lord." And husbands take the leadership in that way, lovingly. So I'm going to close with this. The real purpose of marriage. We're going to go to Ephesians 5. The purpose of marriage is not about a man and a woman in a relationship. It's not. If you thought that that's what marriage is about, biblically you would be wrong. Paul tells us what the purpose of marriage, and that is why we must understand in culture, with all that's going on in our culture, about the battle between what is marriage and what is not. We, as a church, we must just relax and say, God is the one that makes marriage. We need to model it. We need to love our spouse. We need to love our husbands, love your wives, wives, love your husbands, and, and reveal to the world what it's supposed to look like. Because God set it up. God designed it. God made the blueprint. So it's not, man doesn't change that. Let's see what Paul says. Interestingly enough, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. He's getting ready to talk about marriage. So there is a mutual submission. 
Yes, the husband has leadership. There's that idea of wives submitting to the husband as in the leadership. But a loving husband would also submit his heart to his wife to say, what do you think about this? What is the Lord telling you about this? And now we're going to take all this information and just submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit, your, submit yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And then he says, verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Again, the weight, the, the heavier weight on the husband. Wives are told to submit, husbands are told to die. Which one would you like? <laughs> to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle of any other ones, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for the body. This is Christ that secured, for we are members of his body. Then Paul, in verse 31, he quotes Genesis 2.24. He goes to the original blueprint of marriage. This is under the New Covenant. This is the New Testament, the New Covenant. He says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. There's an idea of covenant there. Covenant. And he is talking about physical things that they become one flesh. We're not going to get into health class right now, but there's something complementarian about how a woman is made and how a man is made, and that represents a covenant. They become one flesh, but they also become one in heart and one in mind, one in spirit. Then he says this, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. So if you thought it was about a man and a woman, you were wrong. What is Paul saying? Marriage points to the reality of who Jesus is. Marriage reveals Christ in the church. Marriage is a model of Christ in the church. The reason why, again, the whole idea of a man and a woman to think differently. Jesus is different than the church. There's distinction. It's not Jesus and Jesus. It's Jesus and the church. It's male and female. And so he's saying it's a greater reality. Paul is saying this whole idea of marriage, I'm telling you how to do it, but there's something profound going on. It's a mystery to reveal the gospel of Jesus. So marriage, when God created marriage in Genesis and he came up with a blueprint, Paul, a couple a few thousand years later, said, the blueprint, that's still good. Under the new covenant, it's still good. Yes, I know that man wrecked it and ruined it. And in the Old Testament, you had guys with ten different wives. That was never God's best. And Paul says it's about one man and one woman revealing who Christ is. And so, no wonder marriage is under attack because it reveals the gospel. And so, whenever a husband and a wife are together, they reveal Christ in the church. That's what Paul is saying. It's about a mystery. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And he's going to do it the way God showed you. Do it the way Christ modeled it for you. And this always, Christ is our example. And that's why Paul's teachings are forever intended to overwhelm us. Right? And he says, clothe yourself with this. 
take off this or live this way and forsake that and live a certain... It's intended to overwhelm us because you're saying you're going to need Jesus to do this. The point is you're going to need to make Christ the friend. He goes back to Colossians 1. You must surrender your life to Jesus. You must give your all to Jesus. You must unconditionally surrender to Jesus every day. If you want to have that kind of marriage, you need Jesus. We can't pull this off in our own strength. We need Christ. We need the power of the Spirit to live this out. So let this not just be a convicting thing of, well, man, what am I, all the things I'm doing wrong in my marriage. Don't even go there. Run to Jesus today. Say, Lord, today I'm going to bring my marriage again under your Lordship. Or if you're not married, Lord, I, and you want to be married someday, Lord, I, I want to work for that. I want to have my heart set in that place. And I want you to lead and guide my life. Or even if God says, I don't want you to be married, to have a contentment in Christ because there's nothing that says that we have a right somehow to be married. It's temporary anyway. And that we find our contentment in Him that He's enough for us. But that we pray and we ask God for His mercy. Because I could, I could just get up here and talk about all the wrong things I do as a husband. There's a few. Or more than a few. But I have to run to Christ every day. God, help me to love my wife that way. Help our marriage to reveal Christ and His church. Let's pray together. Lord, you're very clear in your word. Look, not for marriage to work, for life to work, you have to be supreme in our lives. And I pray, God, today, and Lord, I pray for hope in marriages, God, that may be suffering. Marriages that feel, maybe they feel, people feel like that we just hit a wall and we just kind of gotten into a season where it just feels very dead. Lord, that you would breathe life. Lord, that we would obey what you are telling us to, Lord, and ultimately the greatest act of obedience is once again making you supreme. Making you first. That you are first in everything, marriage included. And God, that we would receive the mercy and grace of Christ, that we would not feel guilty or, or shamed, but Lord, that we would stay out of hope because of Jesus. Starting today, I can have mercy in Christ and our marriage can begin to move again and in, 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 in modeling Christ and modeling what, what, what the gospel, modeling the gospel and what Jesus said about it. Lord, help us today, God, to have our hearts set before you, making you supreme. Lord, I pray for marriages in this place. I pray for marriages, God. Christian marriages, Lord, that we would reveal Christ in the church, that when people come in contact with us, they would see the gospel in action. Lord, help us to believe that submission is not a bad thing, Lord, that you model that Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. God, help us as husbands to love our wives, to lay our lives down for them to lead our families toward you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.